The Fall of Gilgalad. Gilgalad was an elven king, of him the harpers sadly sing, the last whose realm was fair and free between the mountains and the sea. His sword was long, his lance was keen, his shining helm afar was seen. The countless stars of heaven's field were mirrored in his silver shield. But long ago he rode away, and where he dwelleth none can say. For into darkness fell his star in Mordor where the shadows are. Damn, I love poetry. What's up there, Tolkieners? I'm Danny J. Hello, children. Welcome back. Are you going to say your name? I'm Joel N. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, guys, this is a great start to the episode. Hey, this is uh, the second half of season four. Yeah, this is the beginning of the second half. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very professional beginning (laughs) to the second half. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed that Halloween special. We just did that a few, like last week. That was really fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun for us, actually. We, we love re- Halloween. We really enjoyed it. We're still kind of doing the hangover from Halloween. I'm still watching horror movies. Yeah, me too. Halloween kind of crept up on us this year, so mm-hmm. I'm still trying to like... I Yeah, I feel like it should be do a Halloween... All my, do all my Halloween routines still. I think Halloween should go all the way up into Thanksgiving. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, you know how like Christmas has that season afterwards? Yes. There should be a Halloween season. Christmas is awful, but I really don't like Christmas. I know you like Christmas. I don't. I, do, I don't enjoy Christmas. <laughs> anyway... We hope you guys. Anyway, Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you guys are doing well. We want to introduce you guys to a new three part series we're going to be doing this half of the season. Yeah, we're hella excited about this. And this one is going to be called High Kings. And as you may have guessed, today we're going to start off with High King Gil Galad. Hell yeah. But really, who is Gil Galad? Let's get into it. Yeah, well, let's just briefly touch on, yeah, who is Gil-Galad, also known as Iranian Gil-Galad. And here's the thing. I grew up saying Gilgalad, and for this episode, I'm going to try to say Gil-Galad, because I'm pretty sure that's the correct, correct pronunciation, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I honestly don't know which is correct, although um, when you listen to recordings of J.R.R. Tolkien read The Fall of Gilgalad, he, he, does, he does say Gil-Galad. Okay. So, so I, I don't know if it's like a potato-potato thing. Yeah. Because I totally said Gilgalad for the longest time, too. Yeah. I mean, there are probably plenty of recordings of me saying Gilgalad oh, on yeah, this podcast. Yeah. So we're, we'll just use both. We're going to sound... I'm going to try to sound smart and say Gilgalad. Yeah. I'm going to try to do the Gilgalad because I think that's the way it... Obviously, Tolkien yeah, intended yeah, it, if yeah. that's what he said. But uh, yeah. So briefly, you know, who was Gilgalad? Uh, he was the last High King of the Noldor. And then he was one of the major leaders in the Last Alliance. Yeah, and if you want to know everything about the Last Alliance, see one of the finest Joel episodes. Episode 41, The Last Alliance. One of my favorite uh, things you've ever done, Joel. Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. Toot my own horn a little bit. Toot, toot. toot. Fantastic episode. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of folks will also remember Gil, uh, Gilgalad or Gilgalad. He was featured in the... Prologue. He was featured in the prologue of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. Because <laughs> he was one of those major players in the Last Alliance. But yeah, he was one of our big Shafted characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, refer back to our Shafted episode. Yeah, so let's cover some of his names and titles. He's got a good handful. So some names for Gilgalad are Iranian, which is a Sindarin name, which means Scion of Kings. 
he was also called Arten Artenaro, which is Quenya for High Flame. Another name for him is Rodnar, which is Cinderin for High Flame as well. And then, of course, we have Finilak, which is Cinderin for Flame of Hair and Eye. Wow, that's a dope name. And then, we, of course, we have Gilgalad or Gilgalad, and that means Star of Radiance. And he also has the title of High King of the Noldor and, and King of the High Elves. Yeah, so obviously he's pretty highly revered. So let's get into uh, the origins of Gilgalad. And uh, just as a disclaimer, we want to start off by saying uh, right off the bat, things are going to get a little complicated with this character. Right. Much like our uh, Galadriel episode, we have um, a little problem that, uh, you know, things get a little confused in Gilgalad, especially in his lineage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The early history... Yeah, the early history of Gilgalad is somewhat obscure. Uh, Tolkien repeatedly changed his mind about who Gilgalad was and how, basically how to fit him into the first age. Because, yeah, like you said, like Galadriel, Gilgalad is also one of those characters who was retconned into the first age material. So he wasn't originally there. So, uh, yeah, Tolkien in his later later years was actively writing him backwards into the Legendarium. Right, right. So let's get into the published version in the Silmarillion, which is, of course, the groundbreaking 1977 novel. Yeah, so the lineage of, of Gilgalad, that, that, that's right off the bat one of the most contested things about him because of these different versions of his story. So in the published Silmarillion, there's one version, and that was published in 1977. And in that, Christopher Tolkien wrote that Gilgalad was actually the son of Fingon the Valiant of the House of Fingolfin. And this is based on some uh, notes that Christopher had found in early texts that uh, he'd been using while um, uh, comprising the Silmarillion. Because yeah. he, yeah, he kind of patched that all together yeah. after his father had sadly passed, uh, I think like three years prior to this. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this version, his mother is unknown. Well, I should say in both versions. <laughs> Gilgalad's Gil uh, mother uh, is unknown. His, really? father, his father changes. Yeah, uh, but, but still, no mother. Yeah, so in the published version of the Silmarillion, that's what made it in. But years later, uh, Christopher Tolkien made a corrected version. So in the published version of The History of Middle-Earth, Volume 12, which is The Peoples of Middle-Earth, that was published in 96, Christopher Tolkien wrote that Gilgalad was actually supposed to be the son of Oradreth of the House of Finarfin. That's Fingolfin's brother. So rather than being of the House of Fingolfin, he's part of the House of Finarfin... And uh, yeah, so that that was a that's a pretty big change, right? So that let's see, he if he's so he's son of Oradreth means his sister. We oh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. We we had to think of that was a thinker for a second. Yeah, so we're trying to fit him in here. So uh, he is uh, Finduilas is his sister, which is a pretty big bummer. Yeah, bummer. Worst mm. uh, worst Christmas tree ornament ever. That's terrible. Disrespectful. Sorry. But yeah, so that that also makes him Galadriel's cousin? I think so. Right, because she's Finarfin's daughter? Second cousin, maybe. So essentially, after years of going through his father's materials, Christopher found that uh, J.R. had actually changed, you know, who Gilgalad was. And in some of his more recent notes about the First Age tales, he mentions that Gilgalad is actually the son of Ordreth. Mother's still completely unknown. <laughs> but uh, since this is the more, technically the more recent version that J.R.R. had written, this is the version that we're going to be kind of going with as canon. 
Right. Oh, well, let's get into this, hop right into the first stage. Ultimately, the exact date and place of Gilgalad's birth are not given, really, uh, either way. <laughs> the only canon is that Gilgalad was born in Beleriand sometime around the middle of the first stage. Yeah, he was still a child at the time of the Dagor Bragalach when uh, Morgoth broke the Siege of Agband, and as a result, his father, at some point, sends Gilgalad and possibly Gilgalad's mother. Like we said, we don't know who she is. Who fucking cares? No. But you'd think if they'd send, <laughs> if his father was sending Gilgalad, probably his mother too, uh, uh, but sent Gilgalad to Círdan at the Havens of the Phallus for safekeeping. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, after the the Siege of Angband broke, you know, after the Dagger Bragalock, like we've mentioned before, that was the dark beginning of the dark times. Yeah. So it would make sense that he'd get sent to the Havens for safekeeping. And uh, a lot of people think that this was potentially around the time of the fall of Nargothrond, naturally. Like, that's right. probably that when people sense. would be... Because Nargothrond was a pretty safe place up until, up you until know, it, it got yeah, sacked. <laughs> up until Glaurung, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, people are pretty sure that that's when uh, Gilgalad went to the Havens. was after the fall of Nargothrond, and that was in the year 495 of the First Age. And as everyone remembers, I'm sure, Glaurung leading an army of orcs and sacking Nargothrond after... Turin Turin Bar had that bridge built up front. Yeah, yeah our buddy was, Turin. Yeah, that was pretty dramatic. I'm sure that poor young Gilgalad was not excited <laughs> to find that uh, his kingdom that he lived in was being sacked by a fucking dragon. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Gilgalad, like all the elves, of, uh, or many of the elves of Nargothrond, uh, we can assume they fled to the Havens of Sirion or were straight up murdered. Yeah, or were straight up murdered because they mention in the story of Turin Turinbar, some of them were taken captive. Right. But those captives were all killed, we find out later in the story. So everyone was literally either killed or got away. Right. Oh, fun story. Yeah, so after that, we assume Gilgalad would now be living on the Isle of Balar with some of the other refugees off the shores of Beleria near the Havens. Because after a while, when things really started getting unsafe, Círdan had a lot of the refugees move over to the, the Isle of Belar mm-hmm. out in the bay, because that's obviously a much safer place to be. Oh, yeah. I think that's actually the only settlement that is never attacked. Yeah, as far as I can remember, it's never assailed. But uh, 15 years later, in the year, first age 510, when uh, Turgon, the high king at the time, he dies during the fall of Gondolin. Tower falls on him, remember? Epic. Oh, yeah. That's uh, yeah. Well, we're gonna cover that a little later. But. Yeah. So Gilgalad, uh, he inherited the title of High King of the Noldor at this time, and he was only s- around sixty years old, which is very, very young for an yeah. Elf. Think about it. So elves live for like what thousands of years, just indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. So a sixty-year-old elf. Shit, we we're talking. That's for, to me. I think that's like a elf. That's like, it's like it's like an eighteen-year-old becoming president. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Teenager. That's pretty young. Sixty years. But uh, now he's king, and uh, as king, Gilgalad continued to rule from the Isle of Belar, which was, I think, a very safe choice. But uh, after about 28 years or so, in the year 538 of the First Age, High King Gilgalad received word that the sons of Feanor were mounting an attack on the havens of Sirion in an attempt to regain the Silmaril that was held there. Yeah, and Gilgalad, uh, being awesome, immediately sends a fleet um, from the havens to the, or, or from Bylar to the havens of Sirion. Yeah, which is not far away. No, yeah. Uh, the mouths of the Syrian, they were inhabited by all the uh, recent elven refugees from uh, all, pretty much all the fallen kingdoms. Yeah, I think Doriath has fallen by now, too. <laughs> yeah, so has, Doriath, yeah. Nargothrond, mm-hmm. pretty much everything. And yeah, because Doriath has fallen, uh, Elwing and the Nalgamir are there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, unfortunately, Gilgalad's fleet did not arrive in time. Yeah, upon, unfortunately, the uh, Sons of Feanor completely ravaged the Havens, and it was it was horrible. The assault resulted in the third and final Kinslaying, and it was said to be the cruelest of the three Kinslayings, and the Havens were completely and utterly destroyed. And that, we assume, must have been a pretty heavy blow to... Yeah. King Gilgalad being relatively new to High Kingship. Yeah, and that's really the first action we hear of him as High King. Yeah, the first thing he really does. Yeah, and it was an utter failure. Mm -hmm. Must have been shitty. Yeah, he's already very young, and then his first real military action doesn't even get there in time. Yeah, it was rough. And then aside from that, their friends got killed. Right, yeah, yeah. It was a heavy blow. Uh, But Gilgalad, he was happy to later find out that Elwing had escaped with the Silmaril. And that Elrond and Elros were still alive, yeah. though, though captured by Dix, Madros, and Maglor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I guess despite the fact that many, many died, the whole reason that they, the Sons of Feanor attacked the Havens was all, I mean, they ultimately unsuccessful. They didn't get the Silmaril, so I imagine right. that's got to be a pretty, you know, some some solace, like, fuck you guys. Yeah, <laughs> You didn't even get it. You may have killed us all, but you didn't get what you were coming for. Yeah, and for. now you look like just major assholes. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. horrible. Um, so now we're talking about stuff toward the end of the first age, you know, so this brings us right up into the War of Wrath. Yeah, so the War of Wrath, this was the very end of the first age, and so this was from the years 545 to 587. It lasted a long time. Long time. And so, yeah, and the War of Wrath was a huge, huge event, and... I think it's safe to assume that Gilgalad and some of his elves had some part to play. Oh in yeah, the they, War of Wrath. they would they would have to. I mean, it's the revenge of the Noldor, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's explicitly stated that the elves of Amon from Valinor they all come in force, and mm-hmm. it's explicitly said that men in Middle Earth joined the War of Wrath on both sides. You know, that's where Numenor comes from. Some of them get rewarded, but uh, I don't know. We couldn't find any specific mention of the elves in Middle Earth joining the fight. Although they're the ones who originally had the beef with him anyway. So yeah. I imagine they. Definitely I imagine they would. were there too. Yeah, probably not operating under the command of you know the High Kings or whatever. But right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Gilgalad's gonna be sending a force to the Havens to save his friends, I'm sure he'll probably join the massive the overthrow force of Morgoth. to overthrow yeah. Morgoth, yeah. So after the the War of Wrath, after all the battles were done, the remaining elves in Middle-earth were bidden by Eonwe to turn with him to Valinor. So this is kind of when the elves are finally welcomed back into Valinor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ban is over, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the elves went into the west, but uh, others refused the summons and they journeyed eastward where they would become uh, lords of uh, the remaining Eldar that you know, the Sindar, mm-hmm. and uh, those elves that still dwelt there. And chief among these are Gilgalad, Galadriel, Caliborn, and Elrond. Yeah, all names that we should all be very familiar with. Right, and if you're not, we have episodes on uh, everybody except Caliborn. I mean, he doesn't have his own episode, but he's... Yeah, yeah. he's kind of associated with Galadriel pretty heavily, so... Yeah. so Otherwise, we, yeah, we've now got episodes on all four of these characters. <laughs> yes, we do. You're listening to the Gilgalad one. Yeah, yeah. Good job. So since the War of Wrath has ended, that brings us now into the Second Age, which is really this where is yeah when the meat and potatoes of the Gilgalad stuff happens. Yeah, Gilgalad's story is really Second Age stuff. Right. So at the beginning of the Second Age, after Beleriand is completely wiped out and is you know sunk under the sea, obviously they've got to find some place new to live. So Gilgalad founded the realm on the coastal region of uh, in the coastal region of Lindon along the newly shaped western shores 
of Middle Earth. Yeah, and that would have been somewhere in Osiriand, right? Yeah, so yeah. essentially it's where Osiriand, yeah, it is what Osiriand used to be. The yeah. shore has, the, the, <laughs> the sea has now come all the be, way yeah. up. Yeah, mm-hmm. so just the west side of the Blue Mountains is still kind of there as a shore. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and that's where Gilgalad would rule for the rest of the Second Age. And at its height, his realm actually extended eastward as far as the Misty Mountains. That's pretty big. But throughout the Second Age, most of the Eldar lived in either Lindon, which was, you know, the capital for Gilgalad, or in Elrond's refuge of Rivendell, or in Eregion with Celebrimbor. Those were kind of the main elven settlements. Yeah, and uh, many of the elves of Beleriand, uh, they sought refuge and relocated to Lindon at the beginning of the Second Age. Yeah, I, I imagine that it's probably because that was really the only part of Beleriand that was technically left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's no longer Osiria in the Land of Seven Rivers, but, uh, you know... It's, it'll do. It'll do. It's a shadow of what used to be. So all the Noldor that stayed in Lindon, they mainly dwelt in the northern section, which was called Forlindon. And the Sindar and the surviving Lelequendi, the Green Elves, uh, from Assyrian, they mainly dwelt in the southern section of Harlindon. And a fun fact is together, under the rule of High King Gilgalad, both all of these different types of elves, they built Mithlond, which is right in the middle. And that's known as the Grey Havens. Yeah. I, this kind of reminds me of like the Bay Area I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the San Francisco like area. area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's right over on the eastern end of the Gulf and Loon. So it's the, it's the main gulf on, the, on this new west coast. Yeah. And throughout the Second and Third Ages, many elves would set sail from here to Valinor. And uh, Círdan the Shipwright was the master of the Havens since its founding, and I think forevermore. Forever and ever. Well, until he sailed yeah. with Sam, supposedly. Yeah. We like to think. We like to think. Uh, and then also Galdor was there, and that's Círdan's messenger. Oh, yeah, we know Galdor. Yeah, he was at the, the Council of Elrond mm-hmm. and the White Council, right? Yes, yeah. So Mithlon, the Grey Havens, that's where Galdor is known to be from. And throughout most of the Second Age, Gilgalad enjoyed great friendship with the Numenorians, and this proved very, very useful in the coming years. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Gilgalad had a particularly good friendship with one of the Numenorean princes, that's Prince Eldarion, yeah. as you may remember from our Eldarion in Arendus episode. Yeah, we have an episode on that too. There's an episode on everything. <laughs> so at one point Eldarion gifted Gilgalad with seeds of a special tree called the Melorn. It's Melirn or Malorn. There's a few different spellings of the tree. But these are trees of immense size, especially when growing uh, on Numenor. They are also described as similar to birches. Their their bark was smooth and silver gray. Yeah, the leaves were green on top and silver underneath, and the leaves turned gold in autumn, but they remained on the tree through the winter and they would finally fall in the spring when the new leaves sprouted. And so in the spring, this would cover the ground in gold. And also in spring, golden flowers bloomed on the branches too. So spring was just gold. Yeah, that would be beautiful. But uh, unfortunately, the seeds wouldn't grow in Lindon, probably due to the climate or something. Something. Maybe it was too cold. Yeah, probably too cold. So Gilgalad actually gave them to Galadriel before she left uh, Lindon. Yeah, she carried the seeds for a long time, trying them here and there. But finally, she tunkered down and planted them in a land called Lindornand. And when the seeds took to that dirt and finally started growing there, it was renamed Lothlorien or Lorien of the Blossom because of all the golden blossoms. Mm-hmm. And if I remember right from our Galadriel episode, I wrote it, I should remember, <laughs> Lindoraland means Valley of the Singers. Oh. I think. Okay. 
I don't know. Check back at that episode, guys. I don't know. I know that kind of got off track. We're talking about Malorn trees, but this is about Gilgalad. But I, I liked the Malorn trees. I did not know that. Yeah, I'm glad you um, you added this because that, that puts, a, uh, there's a gap that was filled in by this. Thank you. Yeah. So basically, you know, Malorns are famously associated with Lothlorien, but the only reason that they grow there is because Gilgalad gave the seeds to uh, Galadriel. That's pretty crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they're originally from Numenor. Actually, I should say the uh, Malorn tree is originally from Valinor. Which was, yeah, then gifted to Numenorians. Which was gifted to the Numenorians when the island was made, and then now Alderion gifted it to Gilgalad, who gifted it to Galadriel. Yeah. What a great gift. Yeah. I think I remember reading somewhere that they, the Malorn trees wouldn't grow in Lindon for Gilgalad because of, I think it was the climate. Yeah. I I'm not 100% that. sure, but I think it was because it was like too cold and then they preferred like the warm mossy soils in Lothlorien. And it, so that makes me think of like a redwood tree because that's the kind of climate that redwood trees right. like. They and do. it grows in a similar fashion too. One massive trunk going straight up well, granted it's you know different bark and leaves yeah. and stuff but yeah, yeah dude it's kind of cool Joel you gotta go to Muir Woods man I wanna go and for those of you don't, who don't know I love redwood trees yeah he's he's yeah, he's a tree guy Joel loves trees in general I love I love redwood trees specifically and I'm trying to grow a bunch in Minnesota that's our goal we're gonna draw it's way too cold here <laughs> no no if you go up by the lake <laughs> you can you can grow some Don Redwoods really mm-hmm. okay sorry getting way off subject so, aside from the trees. <laughs> so, all in all now, so there was peace in Middle-earth for a long time. But in the Second Age, in the year 1200, Gil-galad was the first of the elves to mistrust a new stranger who called himself Anatar, Lord of Gifts. And Anatar presented himself as an agent of the Valar. But as we know, Anatar is actually fucking Sauron. Sauron the Deceiver. But no one knew it at this time. Yeah, everyone thinks Sauron's dead and gone with Numenor. Mm-hmm. And Gilgalad straight up forbade him from entering Lindon. Yeah, he didn't get a good, uh, didn't get a good feeling about this guy. But uh, elsewhere, Anatar was gladly received, especially in Eregion, where some Noldorian smiths learned from him a lot of magic and smithcraft. Because, as we know, they love that shit. Those Noldor—that's really their weakness. They love that. They will—they thirst for that knowledge. They're thirsty as hell. In Eregion, uh, there was a specific brotherhood of Noldor mastersmiths, and they were called the Gwaith e Myrdane, and that means the people of the jewelsmiths. Yeah, this is something I actually didn't know previously. I always assumed, well, we'll, we'll get into things. We'll, we'll get into things. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so the Gwaith, for short. Yeah, they were a group of uh, Noldorian smiths that were founded back in the year 750 of the Second Age. So this kind of has previously happened already. They're already established. And they were founded by Celebrimbor and some other Noldorian smiths who left Eregion, or excuse me, who settled in Eregion. And the Gwaith, they were easily tempted since they really wanted to bring Middle-earth uh, the joys of Valinor, their home, their original ancestral home. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that Noldor is always, they're always trying to do. Make Middle-earth as great as they can. And the Gwaith, they were already known for their extremely high-quality smithcraft. I mean, you've got, you've got Celebrimbor among you, and yeah. the rest of you are Noldorian smiths anyway, so they're already great. Yeah. But under Anatar's guidance, they became more skilled than any smiths ever known save Feanor himself. And this um, also begged to keep in mind uh, that uh, he is, uh, Sauron was originally a smith of Owl, or a uh, Maiar of Aule. Yes, so he is acquainted in smithcraft. Mm-hmm. And industry. And industry. But in Second Age 882, Gilgalad gave his friend, Prince Eldarion the Mariner, 
whom we have an episode about, mm-hmm. a letter for his father, Tarmenal Dur, who was at the time king of Numenor. Yeah, Gilgalad, he's kind of had enough of these uh, shady dealings of, of Anatar, so he warns the king of Numenor that a new shadow has arisen in the east, and he seeks the king's aid. And take a note, this process takes a long time. I think it took Eldarion, when he came back, it was like seven years after he left or something? Yeah, so just uh, in case you're wondering why there's going to be a big gap between the years, between like <laughs> writing letters and actual action, like we're talking like hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, 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 literally. <laughs> because, yeah, part of that is because uh, you know communication is pretty slow right now. We're we're talking about letters going across seas, and like anytime you give Aldarion a letter, he's gonna be you know fucking gone at sea for God knows how many yeah, years before Eldarian, he returns. He's off doing his thing. Yeah. So the process of communication took a long time. Um. So while they're communicating, Gilgalad and the High King of Numenor, uh, in the year fifteen hundred, so one thousand five hundred of the Second Age, the Gwaith finally reach the height of their power, and they begin forging. The rings of power under the guidance of Anatar. Yes, yes. And those rings of power could prevent and slow the decay of the mortal world. They could preserve what was desired or loved and enhance the natural powers of the possessor, even if that means disrupting the natural course of the mortal world. Yeah, so some pretty cool, like, preserving powers, more or less. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when Anatar had left the Regian, actually for Mordor, this was uh, in the year 1590, while he was gone, Celebrimbor went ahead and made the three elven rings on his own, partly using the teachings of Anatar. But of course, while in Mordor, Sauron created the One Ring. Yes. And this is when it was uh, revealed to the elves that, yes, this is, in fact, after you've made the ring and put it on, I'm not sure quite what the magic effect was, but because they were all connected, they They immediately, yeah, they they felt him in their mind. And they're like, holy shit, like this is Sauron. Yeah. I love how, yeah, because everyone's like, Sauron's so clever, and like, this scheme didn't work. No, no, it didn't work at all. It turned out far differently than he planned. And it may have just been because he made the One Ring so damn powerful. Yeah. Because he did put a lot into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, after that, after his scheme was foiled and everyone realized it was him and the rings of power were basically a trick, Sauron wanted his rings. He wanted those rings of power back. He put a lot of his power into this scheme. Just give them back. Yeah, and so naturally the Gwaith, the group that made them, denied the rings to Sauron. And after his plan was foiled, as we know, he gets enraged and Sauron starts a great war. And that was known as the War of Elves and Sauron. And this is uh, the the real shitty, the dark years of the Second Age. Yeah, this is when Sauron is big. Yeah, he's. this is, I think, the most influence in Middle-earth he's ever had at I this think point. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so these are the dark years in Middle-earth during the Second Age. So the three Elven Rings could not be used for as long as Sauron retained the One Ring, because otherwise he'd have influence. Right. In SA, Second Age, that is, 1695, Sauron invaded Iriador, and the El- the War of the Elves and Sauron began. Yeah, Sauron conquered Eregion very quickly, and the forces from Lindon that Gilgalad had sent under the command of Elrond came too late and were too small. Oof. Too late again. Too late. That's gotta be rough. They just sh- they should just call Gilgalad Johnny come lately. <laughs> <laughs> So Eregion completely fell. Uh, luckily, Celebrimbor had saved the three elven rings, 
prior to this. So despite the loss of Eregion, the Elven Rings were still kept safe. Yeah. And for a long time, Gilgalad uh, waged war with Sauron. And this war lasted around eight years. And during this time, Sauron's realm, like we said earlier, was the largest it has ever been. And the Elves of Middle-earth suffered some extremely heavy losses. And in this time, Sauron marshaled and commanded great armies, and he became known as the Dark Lord of Mordor. Sauron regained control over most of the creatures that had served Morgoth in the first stage, such as orcs and trolls. As we were talking about earlier, thank God they didn't, he didn't get the dragons. Right, yeah. Yeah, the quest for Erebor, that was what Gandalf was looking at. He was like, can't let him get this dragon. Yeah, no. Sauron also gained power over most of the men in the east and the south, becoming their god king. The god king. So he's doing a hell of a lot of recruiting. And aside from that, Sauron has also finally completed his fortress of Barad-dûr in Mordor. And he used the power of the ring to do that. He used the power of the ring to do that. Yeah, he used the power of the ring to like make the foundations, the foundations and stuff. Yeah. yeah, so all in all now at this point, Sauron proved to be an incredibly powerful figure. And he conquered nearly all of Middle-earth. He was very, very well established. Yeah. And after the destruction of Eriador, Elrond and his forces fled far north, where Elrond established the stronghold of Imladris, which is uh, known as Rivendell in some circles. Yeah. In a secret little... The Valley of the Cleft. Little Valley of the Cleft. And the Elven Rings were dispersed uh, to be kept safe. So Gilgalad was given Vilya, the Ring of Air, and he was also most likely given uh, Narya, the Ring of Fire, which he later gave to who? Elrond. No, Círdan. Oh, the Ring of Fire. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, the Ring of Fire he gave to Círdan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then Galadriel was given Nenya, the Ring of Water. So in the year 1700 of the Second Age, a great Numenorean force under the command of their king, Tarminastir, they finally sailed over and helped Gilgalad finally fight back Sauron's armies. And this was, the help of the Numenorians was extremely helpful, and it dealt a really heavy blow to Sauron. Yeah, and, the, and this really continues the beef mm-hmm. between, uh, or really starts the beef between Sauron and the Numenorians. Yeah, and the Numenorians. Yeah, Sauron barely escapes back to Mordor with his body. And I think he, I think they said, like, with one of his bodyguards or something. And uh, from then on, he just, after he made it back to Mordor, he just laid low. And started regathering his strength and plotting vengeance against the Dúnedain. Because he, now he knows there's this new, extremely strong foe. And uh, so he started to uh, gain a little bit more prominence. And then he started to claim that he was, like, the king of men and things like this. Yeah, while he was regaining his strength. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so the kings of Numenor didn't like that shit too much. Yeah, after he decided to come out and say, I'm Sauron, the king of men. Nope. So in Second Age uh, 3261, King Arpharazon the Golden, resident dick, landed at the havens of Umbar. And from there he marched north to Mordor. And uh, the splendor and might of the Numenorians was so great that Sauron's deser- uh, servants all deserted him. Yeah, they did. there wasn't any fighting. They all just turned and fucking ran. Yeah, imagine ships with like tens of thousands of seven foot tall monsters with fucking shiny ass swords. Yeah, not only are they huge, but they have the best armor and weapons. Oh, yeah. Like, ever. And their ships would have been crazy, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Sauron sees this, obviously, and he knows he can't beat them with military force. Right. So uh, we've talked about this before. So this is when Sauron changes into his fair form and humbles himself before Arpharazon. He get, takes on the Anatar thing again. And uh, the king of Arpharazon, he strips Sauron of his titles and uh, decreed that Sauron would be taken as hostage back to Numenor. 
And as we know, that's exactly what Sauron wanted. Yeah, exactly what. So in this time, though, while he's off uh, fucking Numenor from within, it's relatively peaceful for the elves. They have a, a pretty good time. Yeah, this is this is a good time of peace in Middle-earth. So Iriador, uh, on the whole, was ultimately saved, but Celebrimbor's kingdom of Eregion had been completely wiped out, and a great many of the Rings of Power had actually fallen back into the hands of Sauron. Yeah, so Sauron's gone, but there was a lot of damage done. And uh, given the devastation of Eregion, it was decided that now they needed a different stronghold for that area of the world, so they chose Imladris to become the new elven stronghold in eastern Eriador. Right. And in recognition of his of his efforts, uh, Gilgalad bestows the ring Vilia to Elrond and makes Elrond his vice regent. So this is when that ring... This is, well, I should say, this is one version. This is, yeah, this is one version. Because... This, we'll, it, we'll get to the other version later, but um, yeah, this is one of the versions. He gets it at this juncture. He gives it to Elrond. Right. So like we mentioned earlier in the episode with uh, Gilgalad's heritage, there being multiple different versions. There's also multiple different versions of, of how the rings go through him yes. to other characters. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we know that Gandalf gets the Ring of Fire. Eventually, yep. Eventually, which comes from Círdan, mm-hmm. which ultimately came from Gilgalad. Mm-hmm. And then we also know that the Vilya mm-hmm. is the one that Elrond had, which also Gilgalad had at one point, too. Right, right. So, yeah. So he's got a lot to do with the disbursement of the rings, and there's a couple different versions of it. Uh, this is the one that I chose to go with, is when Gilgalad bestowed the ring on Elrond after he named him Vice Regent, and they established him Elondris as the stronghold. Right, and that kind of that is one version, and that makes sense to me. That makes sense also because, uh, as we suspected, uh, he controls the river using that ring. Mm-hmm. So, like, at that juncture, he would need to be able to control the river mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. That makes sense. So the other version that we're that we were referencing and haven't explicitly said, there's another version where this same ring gets sent to Elrond, but it's when Gilgalad dies. It's not here voluntarily. Right. But I like this version better, but personally. Yeah. Potato, potato. Potato, potato. Vampire, vampire. <laughs> Um, so also during Sauron's absence, uh, Gilgalad was free to extend his power to the north, south, and east beyond Anduin. And uh, his his land became incredibly strong. And another thing that happened is while Sauron was away, the elves were allowed to use the three elven rings. Mm-hmm. And all of their realms became really fucking awesome. So this is when Imladris, they used the ring there to make Imladris fucking mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, Gilgalad used the ring in Lindon and made Lindon fucking great. Lindon really grew during this time, like we said. Yeah. And then this is also when uh, Galadriel made Lothlorien pretty fucking awesome too. Right, right. Toward the end of the Second Age here, um, some uh, some friends from across the sea show up. Some uh, exiles from Numenor because Sauron had uh, corrupted their system from within and destroyed their land. Yeah, so it's been a while. Uh, Sauron's been gone for some number of years. And now, yeah, Numenor has fallen. And the survivors of Numenor, also known as the Faithful, they take their boats and they ride back to Middle-earth and they establish their new kingdoms in Middle-earth. And that, of course, is our dear, dear friends, Elendil and uh, his sons Isildur and Anarion. Yep, and they found, as we know, the realm of of Arnor in the north and Gondor in the south. Right, right. And to learn more about those, go back to, what was it, season two? We got the Kingdoms of the Dúnedain episode. Yeah, yeah. So this kind of brings us into the age of the Kingdoms of the Dúnedain. So just to kind of touch on those 
those kingdoms again, since it's sort of relative to Gilgalad. Right, right. So Elendil founded the kingdom of Arnor and Eriador, so that's the northern kingdom, and that was in SA 3320. In that same year, the, uh, the sons of Elendil, Isildur and Anarion, they established Gondor further south near the Bay of Belfalas. Uh, Arnor and Gondor became known as the Realms in Exile, also called Kingdoms of the Dunedain. And uh, for more on the Kingdoms of the Dunedain, see our three-part series, episodes 22, 23, and 24. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, also at this time, as the exiles come over, uh, Sauron, he had also survived the destruction of Numenor. Yeah, so while they come over and they set up their new kingdoms, it wasn't known, but Sauron was actually doing the same. Yep. So these new kingdoms, they were not at peace for long, unfortunately. Um, but when Sauron had originally returned from the destruction of Numenor, he was actually dismayed that Gilgalad's power had grown so great in Middle-earth while he was gone. Like we said earlier... That has partly to do with the fact that he was able to use his ring of power while Sauron was gone. But uh, we've got a cool excerpt about this. There he found that the power of Gilgalad had grown great in the years of his absence, and it was spread now over wide regions of the north and west, and had passed beyond the Misty Mountains and the Great River even to the borders of Greenwood the Great, and was drawing nigh to the strong places where once he had dwelt secure. Then Sauron withdrew to his fortress in the Black Land and meditated war. Yeah, so like that uh, excerpt says, he came back and he just kind of slunked down in the Black Land. Did a good job not making himself known, but he meditated on what to do. And uh, years and years later, in the Second Age, year 3428, Sauron launches a surprise attack against these Numenorean kingdoms. And uh, like we have mentioned in previous episodes, this attack, this was the first anyone has heard of Sauron. Yeah, they thought he was gone. Yeah. Yeah, they thought he was fucking gone with Numenor. Yeah, Elendil and Sons are like, whew, glad we left that asshole back there at the bottom of the ocean. And sure as shit, here he is. And Sauron, uh, in this surprise attack, he hoped to destroy the kingdoms uh, before they could fully set up and establish themselves. Uh, And this is when Sauron captured Menas Ithil and drove out Isildur, who fled by ship to Arnor. During that time, Anarion was able to hold the capital of Osgiliath. Yeah, that's one of those things that we always don't give him credit for, I don't think. No, because that's pretty badass. Yeah, that's badass as hell. He held Osgiliath from the enemy. Yeah, Isildur straight up had to flee to the North Kingdom. Yeah, and that was when is that's this is when it's known as Minas Morgul from now on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is when it becomes Minas Morgul. The Nine take it over, I think. And uh, yeah, so in the year 3430, in response to Sauron's sudden resurgence, and of course in response to his son, Elendil's son, Isildur, coming for help, High King Elendil of the Dunedain seat, sought an alliance with High King Gilgalad of the Noldor. Enough is enough. Enough is enough is enough. And the High Kings uh, agreed and uh, extend their alliance to King Durin IV of the Longbeards and King Orifer of the Greenwood Elves and also King Amdir of the Lorien Elves. Yeah, no, together all these kings, what do we have? One, two, three, four, five. Five kings. All five of these kings, <laughs> they decide to raise a great host in a balls-out attempt to vanquish Sauron once and for all. This is known as the Last Alliance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And for more on that, see episode 41, which I said earlier is some of Joel's finest work. Thanks, man. 
Um, but yeah, so this brings us right into the last alliance. And uh, since we have an entire episode covering this, like we mentioned, we're probably we're not we're, we're trying not to get into too much detail. But uh, w- this is a big part of Gilgalad's life. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the masterminds of this whole thing. Right. So we are going to cover it as much as we can in relation to Gilgalad, and just kind of give a general picture of what happens. Yeah, because it's a big and important event. So we're going to start off the last alliance with a nice little excerpt from the Silmarillion. Now Elendil and Gilgalad took counsel together, for they perceived that Sauron would grow too strong and would overcome all his enemies one by one if they did not unite against him. Therefore they made that league, which is called the Last Alliance, and they marched east into Middle-earth, gathering a great host of elves and men. It is said that the host that was assembled was fairer and more splendid in arms than any that has since been seen in Middle-earth, and none greater has been mustered since the host of the Valar went against Thangorodrim. Oh yeah. So this is big. It's fucking metal, man. I love the Last Alliance. It's funny that, like, because this is huge. You know, huge, this is huge. the biggest armament and most splendid in arms since the, the Valar war, right? went against Thangorodrim. Right. But this didn't do it. <laughs> but this didn't do it. It was Frodo and Sam and the Gollum fi- finally that did finally it. did it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is a big deal, the Last Alliance. So because Gilgalad and Elendil had taken the initiative here, uh, they had the luxury of time on their side to prepare for the battle. Right. That's the big key here is that mm-hmm. they're the aggressors this time. Yeah, teamwork. When you agree to team up right away... It helps. Right. So both High Kings began by spending two years gathering their own forces. So Gilgalad gathered the forces of the elves of Eriador and Lindon. And of course, badass motherfucker Elendil gathered the forces of Arnor and the remnants of Isildur's forces from Gondor. And in the year 3431, the forces of Gilgalad and Elendil finally meet together at the Tower of Amon Sul. Oh god, this would be the coolest part to be. Could you imagine this? That'd be such a cool thing to see, like two massive armies meeting together out yeah, in those yeah, fields. Yeah. And it's just like Elendil's up there just waiting, because it's like his watchtower or whatever. He's like mm-hmm. smoking a cig, just waiting for. <sighs> And then Elendil shows up, they share the cigarette, and they're like, what the fuck we gonna do about the Sauron do, bro? Let's go over to Elrond's. Let's go over to Elrond's place. <laughs> so after meeting at the Watchtower of Amonsul, they head on and go to Rivendell. And in Rivendell, the Alliance is joined by the forces of Lord Elrond, obviously. Uh, Elrond had gathered the forces of the Rivendell elves, and uh, this is also when Elrond takes place as Gilglad second in command. And yeah, I've also heard him referred to as his Herald as well. His Herald, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Alliance spends a further three years in Rivendell, forging weapons, training, and uh, strategizing. As uh, George W. Bush would say, strategizing. Strategizing. Strategery. And this is when it becomes known as the Great Forga. Forga? I was trying to do a George Bush impression. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember him, guys? <laughs> so this is when Rivendell becomes known as the Great Forge. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, in Second Age 34-34, the last alliance, uh, they left Rivendell and they traveled eastward across the Misty Mountains. So on the other side of the Misty Mountains in the Vale of Anduin, the alliance was joined by the Sylvan forces of Amdir from Lothlorien and Orifer from Greenwood. So more of the uh, Sindarin elves. Yeah, yeah. Nandor elves. Some Nandors, some Sindars. Um, however, neither Amdir nor Orifer's hosts would take Gilgalad as their leader. So this is when we're coming yeah. to our first problem. This is the yeah, this is the crack mm-hmm. in the foundation of the right. Last Alliance. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so some of these uh, lower, lesser elves, I don't want to call them lesser elves. Some of these yeah. sylvan elves yeah. and cinder and uh, cinder elves, they have problems following Gilgalad because he's a Noldorian elf. Right. We've got an excerpt kind of talking about this. Orofer assembled a great army of his now numerous people, and joining with the lesser army of Amdir of Lorien, he led the host of the sylvan elves to battle. The Sylvan Elves were hardy and valiant, but ill-equipped with armor or weapons in comparison with the Eldar of the West. Also, they were independent and not disposed to place themselves under the supreme command of Gilgalad. Yeah, historically there's always been some tension between the Sylvan Elves and the Noldor. Uh, the Sylvan Elves kind of blame the Noldor for all the issues with Morgoth during the First Age. I mean, they're kind of right. They're kind of right. They have some decent claims. And as we're talking about here, they're, they're kind of usurpers. They moved over and like right. took over kingdoms, and then yeah. they fucked everything up. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, they didn't like them just coming over and be like, oh, these lands are ours now. And they've always, Noldor, the Noldorian princes have kind of always just like asserted their rule right. over other people. Like, hey, I'm here now, and I'm a Noldor, so I'm your ruler. Exactly. Yeah, there was, there's some animosity there. So they had some issues. But uh, ultimately, they they kind of got things worked out. This is an alliance. They are all going to work together. Yeah, yeah. So after a little while of regrouping, the alliance gets their shit together, and they head south, down along the east bank of the Anduin, and they rendezvous with the forces of Durin the Fourth of Khazad Doom and Anarian of Gondor. Oh, yeah. So now we're fully stacked. Oh, yeah. So we got more men now. Anarian brings the remnants of Gondor, and then Durin brings fucking dwarves. Yeah, yeah. So now we've got dwarves. Dwarves did fight on either side of this war. True. Not many, mm-hmm. but the dwarves were involved. I don't know why they say the last alliance of elves and men, because it was elves, men, and dwarves. And dwarves, yeah, bitches. it's rude. But, you know, fuck the dwarves, I guess. But, yeah, now fully stacked, the alliance, they march south to meet Sauron's defenses on, uh, at Mordor. And on the southward journey, the alliance reaches a recently devastated region called the Brownlands, and the Brownlands came to be... Uh, sometime between 3431 and 3434, so just a few years prior to them marching through here, Sauron had sent an army north and slaughtered the Entwives who were there and destroyed this land in an attempt to either hinder or intimidate the Alliance on their way. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty fucking intimidating. That was true. Sure was, yeah. And in 3434, uh, the Alliance, they meet Sauron's forces for the first time and begin the most decisive battle of the war, the Battle of Daggerlad. Mm, yeah, and Sauron, he brought a hell of a host to this too. Like, uh, our last alliance is pretty stacked, but Sauron is pretty stacked too. Right. He's got Easterlings, Southerlings, Black Numenorians, Dwarves, Orcs and Goblins, Trolls, and other other unnamed, probably Halloween-type creatures. Yeah, because remember, he's got those Halloween friends. But those issues that we mentioned amongst the elves just a moment ago, those issues arose once again now that we're in the battle. Uh, the Sylvan Elves of Amdir and Orphur's forces, they wouldn't follow the orders or the uh, commands of Gilgalad. You've got an excerpt about this as well. The Sylvan Elves were hardy and valiant, but independent and not disposed to place themselves under the command of Gilgalad. Their losses were thus more grievous than they need have been. Orpher was slain in the first assault upon Mordor, rushing forward at the head of his most doughty warriors before Gilgalad had given the signal for the advance. So this dude totally jumped the gun. Yeah, so they, they weren't about listening to his commands, so they just jumped mm-hmm. the gun. Kind of reminds me of, uh, what's his name, at the, uh, the, at the Nirnaith? Gwyndor. 
Gwyndor, yeah, because Gwyndor, Gwyndor is the one that jumps the gun yep. near Nath. Yep. yep. Yeah, very similar thing. So uh, Orfer jumps the gun, and all of his forces, or his force, prematurely charges in Sauron's forces, and uh, sure as shit, Amdir follows as well because he's like, ah, I'm not following, you know, I'm not following Gilgalad either. <laughs> Let's go. And so all these Sylvan elves charged. And they were all valiant and tough, but they were ill-equipped compared to the other elves around them. And uh, Orpher's host, they did make it all the way to the Black Gate. But after they got there, they were completely destroyed. Yeah, so Amdir didn't even make it out of the gate. No. And then uh, Orpher makes it all the way to the Black Gate and then is slain on its doorsteps. Yeah, after yeah, after Orpher falls, then the rest of the host, including Amdir, they were cut off from the rest of the Alliance. And they were driven south into the marshes, and that's how the marshes became. The Dead Marshes, because they were all fucking slaughtered there. Mm. And, uh, yeah, this is where Amdir meets his his end. And the march the marshes now called the Dead Marshes because of the thousands of uh, bog bodies that remain there. Bog bodies. And we talked about bog bodies in uh, one of the other episodes. I think it was the last alliance. It was definitely the last alliance yeah. episode. But, yeah, that's a real thing, dudes. Look it up. Like, because of the lack of oxygen and the high acidity of the water... No decay. No decay. So, like, bog bodies will last. Some of the bog bodies they pull out of bogs have tattoos on them that they can see. That's crazy. That's crazy as shit. Anyway, science is a miracle. Enough about science. <laughs> uh, so all the remaining Sylvan elves that weren't immediately killed off in this foolish, premature charge, they are now led by Thranduil of Greenwood the Great, son of Warfare. So after that shitty charge, some of them made it back and they were still alive. They're like, well, we're still not going to follow Gilgalad, but... Uh, so Thranduil... <laughs> After Thranduil's father died, he was like, okay, guys, just follow me. Follow me, me I guess. And we're yeah. going to stick with the group this time. Yeah. Um, and Thandu- Thranduil is, we know, is Legolas's father. Mm-hmm. The elven king from the uh, the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that means uh, Legolas's grandfather, Orifer, died here on this premature charge. Right. So as we know, the uh, Battle of Daggerlad rages for months, and there were heavy losses, but eventually Elendil and Gilgalad gained the upper hand, and they breached the Black Gates. And the famed weapon of Gilgalad was a, a spear named Iglos, whose name meant Snowpoint or Snowthorn, or commonly Icicle. Icicle's pretty cool. Although I, like I, I really like Snowthorn. I think that's dope. I like Snowpoint, see. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. So this and it's a really cool weapon. They designed it for the uh, the prologue of the Lord of the Rings. If you check it out online, it's like a it's more of a like a glaive than a spear. Yeah. yeah. In the movie, yeah, because mm-hmm. like it's got like a sword ending on it, but it's you know on a stick. Right. Yeah. 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 It's got like a short sword at the end of it. Yeah. Almost. Really cool weapon though. It's not just a spear. And we see it at one point. We see in the extended edition. We see him thrust it into something. Something. Something dead off screen. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> But apparently he was really, really good with it. It was said that none could withstand it. Oh, yeah. And we've got a pretty cool excerpt about this here. The host of Gilgalad and Elendil had the victory, for the might of the elves was still great in those days, and the Numenorians were strong and tall and terrible in their wrath. Against Iglos, the spear of Gilgalad, none could stand, and the sword of Elendil filled the orcs and men with fear, for it shone with the light of the sun and moon, and it was named Narsil. Badass. I love that. We had that excerpt in the last Alliance episode, but you gotta repeat it. because that was just, you just It gotta. was so fucking cool. So after breaching the Black Gates, the Alliance successfully drove Sauron's forces all the way back to the fortress of Barad-dûr, and the remaining forces of Gilgalad, Elendil, Thranduil, 
and Durin camp out on the plains of Gorgoroth and prepare for the Siege of Baradur itself. Yeah, yeah! And the Siege of Baradur started in SA 3434 and continued for seven friggin' years. Yeah, so this is why we always take gripe with that episode in The Fellowship where it's like, year 3434 for the second age, I have come across the ring. No, it wasn't. It was seven years after that. Yeah, so it was 3441, question mark? Yes. Our math is great. We went to college. <laughs> we went to college. What up? <laughs> I fucking went to college. I got twenty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, we were just talking about it, yeah. our college debt before this. Yeah. We're learned. Yeah, we're learned. <laughs> uh, so the siege of Baradur. So though Sauron was confined within his tower, he was not entirely without power. Uh, the alliance during this siege, they endured seemingly endless numbers of arrows, rocks, and flaming missiles thrown from the tower, as well as regular counterattacks from Sauron's orcs. And imagine just orc waste as well. Yeah. Just orc poo-poo. There must have, I mean, this must have been pretty rough considering this went on for seven years. They held him off for seven years. Yeah. I would definitely throw my doo-doo out the window if I was under siege. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, during this siege, with all this doo-doo and rocks and things being thrown (laughs) from the fucking tower, in 3440, Elendil's second son, King Anarion of Gondor, is killed when his helmet is crushed by a stone thrown from Baradur. I imagine it crushed like his whole head, like oh yeah, like that scene in Return of the King where the orcs are fighting and the one like smashes the other one's head with a rock. Yeah. I imagine it was like that. I imagine it was like in Hot Fuzz when the piece of the church falls on that guy's head. Remember, <laughs> and he like staggers around with it, like <laughs> and then falls. Jesus, shout out, big up to Hot Fuzz. What a great film. Now, uh, one year after that, in 3441, the siege actually becomes so intense that Sauron himself joins, and he emerges from Baradur as part of a counterattack that actually breaks the alliance's lines. Like, that's how that's how powerful Sauron is on his own. Like, Gilgalad and Elendil and them, they had this going. They've been doing this fucking uh, siege for seven years, and after seven years, all it takes is just Sauron walking out and yeah. just breaks their lines. And he pushes them all the way to back back to Mount Doom, which is, I think, like tw- like 20 miles. Like, it's a long yeah, way. Yeah, it's a long way. Yeah. yeah, Sauron pushes them all the way to the slopes of Mount Doom. This is where we get that super awesome prologue scene with the yeah, badass yeah. fighting on the slopes of the fucking volcano. And Hell yeah. Yeah, this is epic shit. So on the slopes of Mount Doom, Sauron fought High King Gilgalad and High King Elendil in single combat. But yeah, Sauron was much more powerful. And Gilgalad is killed. And isn't he like, doesn't he, like his Sauron burns him with his hands or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he's scorches the, his head. Yeah, unfortunately, Gilgalad is the first of the two high kings to die. And it's, yeah, they say it's the heat of Sauron's hand kills, like the heat of his hand on, on uh, Gilgalad's face kills Gilgalad. Just cooked him. And that seems like the way they worded that seems interesting to me because I the way you word the way they phrase it I imagine it literally like grabbed his fucking face and yeah, yeah. seared his face off mm-hmm. like that sounds horrifying it sounds horrifying yeah as we've discussed uh, that how hot the hands of Sauron are remember because the ring it glows when it's on his hand mm-hmm. like the, sp- the, the script is always there so right. obviously his hands are pretty fucking hot I mean that's terrifying just to know that Sauron is so powerful that he comes up to the high king of the high elves. Yeah, dude. And he just grabs his fucking face. And just melts it. And melts his face off and kills him just yeah, from dude. grabbing his face. Like, that's, yeah, that's horror right there. Yeah. And nearby Elrond, Círdan, and Isildur watch helplessly because uh, 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 high king Elendil, is, uh, he's, 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 he fell as well. And the sword broke beneath him, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, we got a little excerpt about that right now. 
I beheld the last combat on the slopes of Ordruin. It was Gilgalad, Elven King, and Elendil of Westerness who overthrew Sauron, though they themselves perished in the deed. Gilgalad died, and Elendil fell, and Narsil broke beneath him. But Sauron himself was overthrown, and Isildur cut the ring from his hand with the hilt shard of his father's sword, and took it for his own. Yeah, and that's uh, Elrond talking, right? Yeah, so that was uh, Elrond at the last council, kind of, you know, going through his spiel where he's explaining the, or the history. Yeah, Council of Elrond, rather, yeah? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what did I say? said last council, which I wasn't sure oh, what you were Oh, I'm sorry. To. No, I meant the Council of Elrond. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, uh, Council of Elrond. Our, uh, for that, see our two-part episode on that, too. Yeah, we've got episodes on that, all of these things. That is also some of Joel's finest work. That's probably, my, that's probably my second favorite episode of yours. I really liked the last council. Or the... What the fuck, Joel? <sighs> The last council, the council of Elrond. Council of Elrond. But yeah, as uh, with the death of Gilgalad, we have the last of the high kings of the Noldor, and never again would there uh, be a high king in Middle Earth. Yeah, because uh, as we know, Gilgalad never took a wife and never had children, and uh, there was nowhere else for the high kingship to pass to after that. Yeah, nobody had the right. Because uh, I was reading this earlier, that really the only descendants of the high kings are the Dúnedain. Yeah, yeah, because they're the, descendants of, of, the, uh, of, of the, Turgon. Yeah, of the of the family of Finway. The only one that would have really been left was Celebrimbor, but he died too. Uh, yeah, the only one we know about is Maglor, maybe. And then, yeah, it would be the Dúnedain. They're the only ones left. Galdor and Glorian, although no, that, that would have been Finrod Felagan. Yeah. Never mind. We don't know his origin either, man, but remember, his is mm-hmm. all screwed up too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this is the end of the High King of uh, the Noldor, guys. The very last. Yeah, and so we thought maybe we'd just uh, end the episode off by one more time reading that Fall of Gilgalad for you. Yeah, yeah. Gilgalad was an elven king, of him the harpers sadly sing, the last whose realm was fair and free, between the mountains and the sea. His sword was long, his lance was keen, his shining helm afar was seen, the countless stars of heaven's field were mirrored in his silver shield. But long ago he rode away, and where he dwelleth none can say, for into darkness fell his star, in Mordor where the shadows are. Beautiful. God, I just love Tolkien poetry, man. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that's curious, that's actually the only. Pl- I think the only place that's really written is in the Fellowship when Sam recites it. Yeah, Sam recites a chunk of it. He says there's more, but we, yeah, we, we don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. As far as I know, it's not complete in any of the writings. Yeah, there isn't anywhere where Tolkien actually completes that that song. But uh, Sam mentions that that's only a few verses, and the rest of the verses talk about Mordor. So Sam doesn't like those verses. Right. So he didn't remember them. So he didn't. Re- so yeah. So we only get those. Three. Or yeah, he was just straight up unwilling to say them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is there, but yeah, so he, he he gives those three that he learned from Bilbo, which yeah. I always thought was fun. But that's pretty much everything we've got for you today on Iranian Gilgalad. Yeah, yeah. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, he's a very important character. Yeah, I think he's very significant. He's one of the key characters for really tying the Third Age into all the previous history. Right, and he's... Second and first. The end of his reign is the end of an era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, uh, thanks for listening to us. Uh, we're the Keep on Tolkien podcast. Yeah, go ahead and make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, at KOT Podcast. And if you'd like to follow me, I am uh, at Danny J. That's J-A-Y. 
K-O-T. Um, also follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash official keep on Tolkien. Make sure while you're there on Facebook to join the K-O-T talk group that's uh, associated with our page. It's uh, just kind of fun. Uh, everyone gets together and we ask questions and discuss things and yeah, share memes. Share memes yeah. Sometimes we do book clubs in there. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. Also be sure to follow us on Instagram at at keep on Tolkien podcast. And go ahead and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it will be at that website dot com forward slash keep on Tolkien and uh, stay up to date with all of our new episodes and please rate or review us uh, if you like us if you don't that's cool yeah give our lives some meaning we love to read your comments yeah we love reading your comments if you hate us hit us up too because that's fun as well <laughs> <laughs> but so we also want to give a big thank you to our patrons on Patreon um, if any of you are curious as to checking out the Patreon go ahead and go to patreon.com forward slash KOT podcast um, if you subscribe to Patreon you do also get some exclusive Patreon content and that's right and what uh, Patreon basically helps us do a subscription service because K uh, to help support us because KOT is still a 100% DIY podcast and it is still coming out of pockets and donation helps so much. Yeah, every dollar really helps us. Just bring a more consistent quality product to you guys. Right. Yeah, and like like Joel said, there's also some super cool exclusive content which we are uh, we just spoke about earlier. We're devoting more time to the Patreon now. Yes. So we're gonna have some more fun, uh, cool things coming up for you there if you. Uh, Subscribe. Yeah. But uh, as always, guys, you know, thanks again for listening. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. As always, keep, keep on, on talking. I'm going to do this one in the style of our favorite song. Aure and Tuluva, they did the Aure and Tuluva. It was a graveyard smash. Joel's staring <laughs> at me. He fucking hates me right now. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>